Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 8.30 or 11 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Revelation. If you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me there. If you don't have your Bible with you, I invite you to grab one off the hymnal shelf in front of you or to use your phone, whatever you need to have a copy of the scriptures in front of you. I'll be reading Revelation 5, verses 1 through 14. And out of reverence for God's word, would you stand with me now as we listen now together for the word of the Lord? Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb, standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slaughtered and by your blood you ransomed for God's saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As Patrick has already mentioned, we are well into our fourth quarter mindset. Uh, We have been leaning into this idea of preparation, moving towards a 2022 that will be unlike uh, any that we have known before. As we spend 10 months out of this room renovating this building, we believe that God is up to far more than just sticks and bricks, that God is up to renovating our church and renovating our hearts 
that he longs for this to be a season where he does more in each of us and through us and in our church than we could even begin to imagine. As we've been preparing for this season over these last few weeks, we've been thinking about the why of renovation. Why would we go to all the effort? Why would we put the money into renovating this building? Why would we go through the logistical chaos and nightmares that will come uh, with seeking to renovate this space? We could do big things. We could challenge ourselves to tackle uh, large projects, but we will never do as much as we can without answering the why question first. Knowing why is crucial. It's what provides the synergy and unity that will allow us to dream beyond what we can see, what we can touch, what we can put our hands on right now. And it will allow us to unify together into something greater than ourselves. Ultimately, the why of this renovation is found in the very mission of First United Methodist Church. First United Methodist Church exists to make lifetime followers of Jesus Christ. That is who we are. That is the biblical mandate given by Christ himself that we have modified and adopted into the context that we find ourselves in. And ultimately, it drives every single thing about who we are and what we do. Over these last couple of weeks, we've been looking specifically at aspects of that mission and how it feeds what it is that we want to do and why it is we believe God is calling us to do it. Two weeks ago on All Saints Sunday, we thought about more lifetimes and how we don't want the flame of the gospel message to flicker and die on our watch. That we want there to be generations upon generations yet to come and that the flame of the gospel of Christ would burn brighter, that there would be more lives who hear those words, well done, good and faithful servants, and move their life from the church on earth into the church eternal. Last week, we thought about what it means to make more followers, that we want to see more followers, more people who will willingly lay down their lifestyles so that they can receive the miraculous gift of salvation that is only found in Jesus. And today, we come to that last piece, that third piece of our mission, making lifetime followers of Jesus. And we remind ourselves this morning about the why of renovation is because we want more Jesus. In some ways, it may seem that that's a silly thing to focus on. Oftentimes in the church, focusing on Jesus is just assumed. We assume that everything we do is focused on Jesus. And yet, it is worth us stopping to think about what the object of our mission really is. To remind ourselves what it is that we're about, what the central piece of our very faith is, the reason that we continue to gather, the reason that we've existed for centuries and millennia isn't because of anything we've done, but it is because of the centrality of Jesus. We do not exist to make lifetime followers of First United Methodist Church. We do not exist to make good church members. We do not exist to make moral people. We do not exist to to be good or make an impact in our community. All of those things may happen, but they are not what drives us. The object and the focus, the central piece of who we are and what we all are about is Jesus. And it is worth us reminding ourselves on this Christ the King Sunday about what it looks like for us to want more Jesus, what it looks like for us to lean into that, what it looks like for the motivation for what we will go through in 2022 to be grounded on the one who is worthy of all praise and worship greater than any of us. When John records the vision that he has that we call the book of Revelation, 
Uh, it is a, an unusual story that we could spend weeks or months even digging into all the symbolism and unique uh, imagery that shows up in that place. But ultimately what John is doing is uh, conveying a message that God has given to him about the centrality of Jesus and how they might endure the, the Christian life in the midst of a broken and fallen world. In the day and age when he received that vision and wrote it down, the world around them was crumbling. The Roman Empire was at its strongest. Paganism was running rampant. And following Jesus was not something that was well received. For someone to declare that Jesus was Lord instead of the Caesar or the Emperor, uh, it was a, a complete rejection of the world around them and a decision to live by a completely new set of rules. As they found more opposition coming against them in all kind of places, uh, John records this vision that he has to help them understand what it looks like to stay faithful to this life and this kingdom that Jesus has offered to them, despite what the world around them may say. In the midst of this vision, there's a section where uh, almost in kind of a way that someone's standing at a window and the curtain is pulled back, John is given a vision into the throne room of heaven. Uh, that he can see something that we can only begin to imagine and that he had a hard time even using words to articulate. As he pulls that curtain back and begins to see that throne room, it would have looked very similar to imagery that they would have known in that day. Uh, in that day, kingdoms of the world, the Roman Empire and the emperors would have had throne rooms that would have had large ornate thrones in the center with uh, many uh, attendants and uh, workers around them that would have sought to, to, to bring glory and honor to the person seated on the throne. But very clearly, as John begins to see this throne room and this image that God is giving him, it becomes clear that there is no president or prime minister seated on this throne. That as he looks into this vision and begins to see the radiance and the brilliance of the throne room before him, he recognizes that there on the throne is the Lord God Almighty. It is an astounding and awe-inspiring thing to see the worship that is continually happening around the throne as all the representatives of all the living beings of all time bow down and worship continuously to the Lord Almighty seated on the throne. It's as John continues to watch that he notices that in the right hand of the Lord seated on the throne, the Father seated there on the throne, that he's holding a scroll. The scroll is rolled up, it's written on both sides, and it's sealed with seven seals, which was a symbol to say that it was perfect and it was complete. There in the right hand, this would have been the purpose and knowledge, the understanding and action of what God desired. This completeness, this wholeness that was available in the, the Father's hands was there to be held. And yet what John began to realize is that there was no one around who could go and take that message and open those seals. He heard the voice of one calling out, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to read this scroll? Who is worthy to announce to us and invite us into what God is doing, to God's action, to God's purpose, and to what God desires for us? As he surveyed that scene that he could see in that vision of the heavenly throne room, John began to weep. Because as he recognized this room, he saw, and in very clear terms, he tells us that no one on earth, under the earth, or even above the earth, was worthy to come and open that scroll. No one on earth, or under the earth, or above the earth, was able to articulate what God was about. No one was able to invite us in to the motion and action and work of God. 
It's astounding if you stop and think about what that really means. If you think about the fact that there was no one living, that there was no one dead, and there was no one in the heavenly realm who, who had the ability to come and, and approach the throne of God to receive God's instruction and direction, to open up the door to a kingdom where we might feast and live for eternity with God. Think about it, 107 billion humans have lived on this earth. You are just a couple hundred of them. And none of us are able to approach the Father. His holiness, His perfection, His righteousness, His grandeur and His glory is so much greater than we can assume. We tend to think that just because we're good or we've been to church that that probably means everything is okay. We tend to think that God is at our beck and call and He exists to do what we want Him to do. But squarely, we recognize again in this place that God is so much greater, so much holier than we could even begin to be in His presence. As John grapples face first with this image, he begins to weep, to weep bitterly because he recognizes the hopelessness of our world he rec recognizes the hopelessness of our lives. He recognizes the hopelessness that on our own, we have no ability to approach the Father. On our own, we have no ability to understand the ways of God. On our own, we have no ability to participate in the action and the desires and the will of the Father. And as he begins to weep, as he sobs over the condition of humanity, one of the voices in the throne room calls out and says, Wait. There is one. And as he continues to watch, he sees there in the center of the throne an image of the slain lamb. That one who is Jesus. The, the image of the Messiah from the Old Testament and the slaughtered lamb from the New Testament. He sees this image coming forth and there he recognizes that Jesus isn't playing some role as like vice president to the president seated on the throne. That he is central in the throne. That everything about him marks him as perfect. He has perfect power. He has perfect wisdom. He is connected to the Spirit. That in this moment we see the Holy Trinity all in one place. And this Lamb comes forward. And he alone can take the scroll. Immediately the angels begin to, to scream and worship that he is worthy. Because he is the one who gave his life for every tribe and kingdom and nation. That he is the one who is worthy because he gave himself up to invite us into a kingdom that would last forever. He is worthy. And as the lamb takes the, 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 the scroll out of the father's hands, he opens it. And he is able to proclaim the message of the Lord and invite us into the kingdom of God. It's an amazing picture. People have grappled with this imagery and even though it uses this kind of apocalyptic things that we don't understand completely, the message is clear that Jesus, the slain lamb, is worthy of all our praise. That Jesus, the one who gave himself up for us, is seated on the throne. That Jesus is the one to whom we owe our very lives as the one who can bring us into the presence of the Father. The question that comes as we reflect on this incredible image is what do we do in response? 
What do we do in response when we come face to face with the powerful imagery of this work on the cosmic and eternal scale? How do we respond to this image that on our own we are hopeless, but yet through the slain Lamb of Christ that we find our way into the presence of God? All we have to do is continue reading in the text I read a moment ago uh, to see exactly what it is that we do. Because no sooner had they declared that he was worthy to open the scroll than we see every creature begin to worship. That every creature begins to fall down around that throne to sing Jesus' praise, to lift him high and exalt him. If we want to think about what the response is to Jesus, if we want to think about the response to the centrality of Jesus as the core of our faith, if we want to think about Jesus as the object of the mission for which this church exists, then we must think about worship. Because the response that we give to the slain lamb, the one who is seated on the throne, is that we worship. And so it is crucial that we think about this room. It makes sense that we would go to the effort to create a space for us to worship. Corporate worship, this work that when we do, when we gather together on Sundays here, is, is central to our faith. It's central to us living into the fullness of the life that God longs for us to know. And so it's crucial that we lean in not to worship as some passive activity that we come to as consumers or uh, mere observers of what is happening. But that we become people who live in the active, engaged way of worshiping, worshiping like we see in that throne room. I love to think that what we might encounter here in this space, particularly as we renovate it and create it in a way that makes it classic and traditional and yet modern and relevant, would be almost like a remote location of the throne room. That what we see happening there around that throne would be happening here. Mary Virginia and I talked just this week about what would it look like for us to lean more into becoming a, a worshiping congregation. A, a congregation that leans into that traditional classic worship we do with modern, unique, uh, contextual, relevant ways to engage people. What would it look for like if we came encountering in this space expectations of meeting the divine? That we didn't come just because it happened to be 11 o'clock on Sunday. But we came because we were coming to a place that channeled the very throne room of God. And that what we encountered in this place was similar to what we see happening around that throne. That's why we worship. That's why we renovate. That's why we press into the focus on Jesus. But it's not just the corporate response. Because what we see in Revelation 5 isn't just an invitation to weekly worship. Well, that's a part of it. And we should do it well. And we should create a space where we can do it well. The invitation in Revelation 5 is to a life of worship. It's a life of continual surrender. And that's what we see in the imagery that we started our service with today. That the elders around the throne were casting down their golden crowns. It wasn't just a, a one-time action that they did it and checked the box and said, yes, I did that. But over and over again, they recognized that things would grapple for their attention and their focus in their lives. And so they knew that over and over again, they must become a people that are continually surrendering themselves before this slain Lamb of God, who is the one that gives us access to the Father and His goodness and His fullness. This is crucial for you and me. Because the truth that we can all rest on is that we all worship something. You were created to worship. It's woven into the very fiber of who you are and how you were made. 
You were created to have something to which you declare allegiance, that you give adoration to, that becomes the priority and focus of your life. Oh, we may not just pick one thing and settle on it all the time. We can focus on all kinds of things. One day it might be your kids or your grandkids. The next day it might be your GPA or your popularity. Uh, the next day it might be how many square feet you have. But the truth that, uh, that holds us all is that you become like what you worship. And so if you worship money, you'll become greedy. If you worship yourself, you'll become prideful and self-centered. If you worship Auburn football, you'll become hopeless and despair. <laughs> but if you worship Jesus, you'll become like him. And so that's why we finish today committing ourselves with a gift card. Committing ourselves in an act of continual surrender. It's why we're using a gift card that doesn't have a dollar amount on it. Because it's not really about the money. It's about becoming a people of worship. It's about living in a way that recognizes the one seated on the throne and then continually surrenders our life. That like those elders who cast down their golden crowns, that we continually cast down ours too. People get so concerned sometimes when the church talks about money. Uh, I just got news for you. God doesn't need your money. Uh, if he wanted your money, he'd just take it. It's already his. What God wants to make sure is that your money and your stuff and those things that take his place don't get you. And so he invites us to worship. He invites us to surrender. He invites us to fix our eyes on the one who is seated on the throne and to yield to him every aspect of who we are because that is how we will find life. That is how we will find wholeness. And that is how we will become the people that God has called us to be.